Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and our week in IndyCar series brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, our great, great friends at torontomotorsports.com and also the amazing folks at Bell Racing Helmets located in Speedway, Indiana, might be the best name for a town on the planet. This week we have my man, I'd say my co-pilot, I, I think I've been his co-pilot uh, for ever since we met actually. Robin Miller, my man, work together now for, I don't know, I think 12, 10, 11, 12 years, something like that, across two organizations, and I just love the guy. I uh, really do. Not only is he a blast as a human being, I learn new and inventive ways to curse at people. Um, I figure out ways to be crotchety and mad in, in just manners I never even contemplated. So hanging around with Robin, uh, spending however much time on the phone each week, it's a, it is truly, it's just a joy. Even though he might not be Mr. Joy when you see him all the time in person or on camera. Nonetheless, it's my man Miller. It is two of us doing nothing but Q&A this week. Normally we have a guest on some form of IndyCar driver, team owner, engineer, manager. It's just me and Miller taking your questions. Went a little bit over time, told you all that we had one hour to do this, which we did, because that's what he told me he had. And then he gave us about another 15, I don't know, maybe even 20 uh, to delay his dinner with a former IndyCar team owner. Lots of fun this week. Lots of questions about next week. IndyCar championship being settled at my home track, Monterey, also known as WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. So a lot of questions there, lots of silly season items, couple of racetrack questions that tends to be one of Robin's fortes. So we had a blast. We had a blast. A couple items to get to before we roll into our conversation. Buttoning down the last guest or two at Laguna to have not one but two season-ending live Marshall Pruitt podcasts. So Friday end of the day ish i can't tell you exactly when because we're still locking down the exact time i think i think it's gonna be five ish maybe uh we'll see what it is i'll let you know obviously but friday end of the day in the little second floor media center box that i have to myself atop pit lane it's gonna be all three maybe all four rookies hopefully getting together kind of a look back on their rookie season and say farewell to their rookie stripes I uh, got Colton Herta confirmed. We have Santino Ferrucci confirmed. We also have Mr. Hashtag Fox Piss himself, Felix Rosenquist. Just waiting to hear back from Marcus Erickson. So that would be Friday towards the end of the day. Going to be tight quarters. So unlike pretty much every other podcast we've done live at a track somewhere, actually going to have to limit this to about 40 people just because the room does not hold anything more than about 40 people. So we'll let you know in all that. The one I'm looking forward to, I'd say even more, is going to be Saturday, the 21st at Laguna. That's going to be at approximately 4.15, still nailing the exact time. That's going to be in the infield on the Cooper Tires stage, the delightful Cooper Tires stage. Robert Wickens, friends, our man Wiki is going to be with us saturday after qualifying and this is just because he's awesome <laughs> uh we've been trying to do something together for a little while 
And he said, hey, let's wait to the end of the year and try and do something. Uh, let's do something live. Let's do something uh, in front of IndyCar fans. So our man, Robert Wickens, I think this is going to be one of his first kind of, you know, public-ish type events uh, in a good old while. So can't wait to have Robert. Also going to have my man, California's, although he was born in Michigan, but raised in California, got a Californian kid, the man who was half of the pass, probably the most famous thing to happen racing-wise at Laguna Seca. Brian Herta is going to be a guest. So can't wait to talk about life, the universe, and everything with our man, Mr. Herta, one of the most delightful people you'll ever meet. Third guest, I mean, come on. It's the final live MP IndyCar podcast of the year. Gotta have my French fry. Sebastian Bourdais will be there. And we think, we hope, still waiting to hear back. It's just penciled in, so don't hold me to it yet. But uh, we are hoping. We've been told tentatively, as I get my lips together here, tentatively planned for championship leader Joseph Nugardin to come and join us and complete our roster. And if good old Joseph cannot make it for whatever reason, well, I'm going to find someone else. That's a blast for us to close out the year so that will be saturday afternoon approximately 4 15 in the infield i'll get to you the exact time and location here very shortly let's go to the thing we've been doing that's a little bit of fun i hope and that is giving away uh, weekly prize packs from our friends at torontomotorsports.com that print all the various mp t-shirts stickers whatever along with all kinds of james hinchcliffe goodies and cartoons galore robin miller stuff our friends there Derek Koska, said hey let's give away uh, some form of weekend indycar t-shirt or related mp podcast t-shirt your choice some stickers maybe even a drink koozie let's just throw a bunch of good stuff into a box and send that out each week to whomever's question posted on our marshall pruitt podcast facebook page which i would recommend you find like subscribe to whatever the heck you do to take part in that thing uh whomever's question for the previous week's week in indycar gets the most likes the most upvotes that person's going to be the old winner and so last week's episode that would be our man jerry sudath hey jerry met jerry mid ohio a year or two ago at a show and that was a genuine blast his question of marshall you know how much if any of abc supplies diminished role in the sport led to the cancellation of the pocono race happened to be the one that folks voted for the most and wanted the answer to the most and the answer was none but it did make them mad even though they were going away uh so jerry drop me a note on the good old book face or tweeters send me a dm whatever and i'll get you linked up with toronto motorsports and we will send some swaggy swag your way Last little note here before we get rolling. Knowing that we had an hour with Robin turned into about an hour 15, hour 20 or so, we still did not get to half of your questions. There were, I think, just over 100 combined across Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit. So, as always, and I don't mention this enough, my fault, and I do apologize. If we didn't get your question and you really want it answered, Submit it again when we call for questions next week. And if we don't get to it then, send it in again. Uh, on my Week in Sports Cars show, 
We sometimes have folks that fire things in, I think three times is the most. And by the third, the submissions get kind of fun. Look, idiot, enough. Just answer the dang question. Usually we do. So send it in again. Send in some form of hostile note. A good threat, you know, at least gets my attention. Another really good threat definitely makes me perk up. I actually just kind of laugh at those. Those are pretty awesome. So if we didn't get to yours, you want it answered, send it through. Uh, Next week, we're going to have, I think I mentioned this with Robin. Uh, Next week, our guest leading into the finale is going to be Team Penske President Tim Sendrick. Obviously, they've got two drivers vying for the title, so that's going to be pretty awesome. And I'm also thinking of doing a separate just general championship Q&A as we'll get a little bit closer with maybe my pal Lee Diffie from NBC Sports, maybe my pal Katie Hargett, maybe the two of them. I don't know. So if you have thoughts on that, if you'd like to hear some sort of final championship lead-in Q&A thoughts, predictions, and otherwise... If what we did here with Miller wasn't enough, let me know and I will do my best to make that happen. So with all that said, thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and also Bell Racing Helmets in Speedway, Indiana. And let's get rolling with our man, Robin Miller. And I don't believe I had to use the bleep button once. It's a Robin Miller night. It's a Robin Miller night. You see, fellas, I knew they'd get Robin Miller. I'm not sure who that is. That's the guy who hates everything. That guy? Oh, him. I love him. Oh, I just love balding middle-aged men. Oh, is he wearing that loud sweatshirt? Hey, isn't this the paper that fired Robin Miller? Loser. Yay, Robin Miller, Robin Miller. It's a Robin Miller night on the Week (laughs) in IndyCar podcast I swear this little weekly thing you and I started doing together at some point in 2017, I didn't know if it had much life to it, brother. Unfortunately, the original host, they've yet to fire that idiot. You were smart and bailed off the sinking ship a long time ago. But I do think it's nice that you swim up and just look at the wreckage every now and then like you are today. You're on the cutting edge, son. Podcasts have taken over the country and you had one of the first of them. So I don't know. You might be smarter than I think you are. Well, I think it was more like one of the last ones because the people who are truly on the cutting edge were there way before me. But I, I do claim, and it is with actual authenticity, that there were expenses made and, and plans afoot to start one back in 2009 when you and I were both at speed.com. But just as I, after I finished buying all the equipment, uh, got a note from our, I think, I forget who was running things back then. It wasn't Joe Tripp. Uh, it might have been Kevin Anderson saying, oh, yeah, uh, we got a radio guy who said he's going to do all that, so no need. To which I said, huh, I hope Guitar Center has a good refund policy. So anyways, here we are doing a little podcast. I hear, Robin Miller, that there is some race next week in Monterrier, I think is the name of the, the city. I'm not exactly sure. And there might be quadruple points being handed out, and some person is going to be named the champion. Does that sound vaguely accurate? It does, and uh, I think they're going to give 1,000 points if your car starts, 2,000 points if you make a lap, 3,000 points if you finish in the top 15, and 5,000 points if you lead a lap and finish in the top five. That's I just heard that yesterday. 
we could have Mateus Laced as the IndyCar champ if he just simply leads a lap and then takes out everybody else and gets yep. those 5,000 points. So, boy, do we have some great strategies. Well, no surprise, we have more. Yeah, we have, a I think, about 110 questions that came in. Told folks that we had about one hour to do this, and we do truly have one hour. There's not going to be any overtime. You have to go grab that just absolute despot known as Derek Walker to have dinner. So we're going to get... He gives me $1,000 a week to have lunch and dinner and breakfast with him because he has no friends. So I act like we're friends, and he pays me. It's it's a good gig. It's it's fun. He's late on his his payment to me, so I actually don't talk to him anymore. He's got to get caught up on the billing. So we're going to try and get through as many as we can as usual. Y'all sent in some great ones. Robin, let's get started. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what's happening there. Um, let's get started with our man, Michael Bredick, who says, simple one for the both of you. Who is going to win the race at Laguna Seca? And who is going to win the championship? What says you, Mr. Miller? Ryan Hunter Ray is going to win the race, and Joseph Newgarden is going to win the championship. Ooh, I love the RHR angle. Redemption after portland i michael i'm gonna go scott dixon i don't know why and i don't think it's going to be enough for him to win the championship because he's back a lot but uh, i'm gonna go with dixon for the win and go with joseph newgarden for the championship as well i think this is one of the easier championship decisions we're going to come across in a little while let's go to mike Ticardo robin who says simple question who will drive for spam next year Hashtag me personally, <laughs> buddy. I, I, uh, a driver came up to me at Portland and said, "You know, uh, you're right most of the time when you come up with some wild ass thing about, you know, New Garden or Pagano going to Penske or whatever." But he said, "You're dead wrong about you're dead wrong about Hinchcliffe. He's definitely going to drive for Sam and and McLaren next year." And I said, "Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we just bet a steak dinner on it?" So we did. I still think he's, I, I mean, uh, I know now they're saying, well, Ray Hall may not have a third car or whatever. I'm telling you, Honda's still trying to find a deal to get him in a car. And we, when we find out how much money the Honda Canada deal is worth and how much they really still want him, that's when we'll know a little more. But let's just say, let's say, let's say for argument's sake that he does, that, that Hinch does stay there at, in his lame duck season. Who do they get to run with him? And I think, I just think Connor's got a good shot. I really do. I do too. I've heard uh, the name of another driver today. I'm not going to mention because that driver is engaged in some other negotiations too, but I've heard another driver mentioned who certainly could be in the mix there as well. Just throwing here too, for the sake of trying to maintain whatever record you and I have been super consistent from the outset in saying, Despite whatever has been said publicly, despite whatever stories have been written recently, despite quotes being offered by one of the team owners, uh, don't necessarily sign up for your 2020 James Hinchcliffe uh, spam souvenirs quite yet. Um, Also, fairly consistent in saying that if by chance Hinch does return next year, that might be because that is the best option for him, meaning... With the way contracts have lined up, Robin, who's available, who's not available right now, just what seats could be available at other teams, despite a desire to stay within the Honda family for the reasons you mentioned, long-term 
and very, you know, a, a positive financial relationship with Honda Canada, this might be the best thing that works out for him in terms of availability, not necessarily desire, but it might be the best option available for next season and next season alone. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, uh, when do you think we're, you're going to run our little silly season video? I'm going to get that ready for early next week. So okay. the drivers will, will really hate you know, us. We'll just leave. We'll leave the other part of that alone and as it save for the video. Cause we talked about who we think will be in that car next year yeah, for 21. Okay. Yeah. For 21 and 2021. Uh, yeah. And so. I, I think there's something there that could play out quite a bit. Who knows? Maybe we can get that driver to give us a really good lie saying it won't happen when we see uh, that person in Laguna. Let's, oh yeah. I always like it when they lie. It, it's great. They smile and they lie. It's just, the, it's the American way, son. You know that they smile and lie. We make up all this stuff too. We just pull it out of our backside. So it's a lovely circle of, of just lack of belief in humanity. Let's go to Ryan Terpstra. He says, Miller likes to bet. What kind of odds do you give to Connor Daly for a full-time seat at spam? Also says, how about Hinch? But he says, I think I read there's no chance he's back with spam. So we've spoken about the Hinch part. You did mention Connor. Is that a gut feeling, though, Robin? Or is that something where you've maybe gotten some other signals to tell you, yeah, there's good odds? No, I mean, I, I just know Connor said at uh, Portland that he's been texting Zach Brown back and forth, and Zach, and Zach seems to be interested. So I think that's, I mean, how could you, the season the kids had, he's a really good technical driver. And I think that's what they need. They need somebody to give them a little direction. So, I mean, it, the timing might actually, for the first time in his career, be perfect. I also kind of like it. I'll make it four to one. How's that? Four, four to one. one. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that despite knowing all the answers to this stuff, because like I'm an IndyCar reporter too, I get to just interview you like I don't know any of this. This is fun. Right. Um, Andy Bauer. This question got a lot of interest from folks. Perfect for you. What are the chances of Foyt not being at St. Pete? And what about any other teams? We'll save the any other, any other teams for uh, last. But what do you think, Robin? Any chance at all, your dear pal, the man who kicks the Grim Reaper in the balls at least five times a year, any chance that team is not coming back next year? I mean, based on what he said, no. They'll, he definitely said they're coming back. And he says they're coming back with two cars, and they're still going to have two shops, one in Houston, one in Indy. And I know that he's already – I think he's pretty far down the road. I mean, I, don't, I shouldn't say down the road, but he's made contact with a sponsor that, uh, that that seems to be pretty interested in him since ABC will only be with him for the Indy 500. So, no, I think – you know, it, he wants something for – I mean, it's kind of Larry's team too, Larry Foyt's team. So he wants to make sure, you know, I mean, will AJ spend – go out and spend a lot of his own money. No, he's too smart for that. But I think his name still resonates and he, and he can still find some sponsorship and, you know, could they be, could they only have one car at St. Pete? I suppose that's more logical than not being there at all. Another thing too, which we're, we're not making any grand statements here, but I would be very surprised if shortly after the, Laguna Seca finale, we do not hear about some changes on the technical side. And that's not because there are bad people there on the technical side, the engineering side whatsoever. Just I think as you've seen throughout your career, Robin, covering 
football, basketball, you name it, along with motor racing. Usually when you have a big shakeup, whether it's a driver leaving, a big sponsor leaving, something where a team in whatever sport has been on a downward trend, you either, if you're not swapping out the head coach, you're definitely changing out the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, something to try and get that offense going again. So uh, we don't know exactly who's going to be driving next year. We think Tony Kanon uh, could definitely could definitely be coming back. I would say odds on Mateus Lays being back are super slim. But definitely on the technical side, Robin, I think we're going to see some. I don't know if there'll be new faces, but different faces on the Floyd timing stand next year. What about other teams? Uh, I know I still need to catch up with our pal Ricardo Junkos to see what's going on in his world. They have struggled both on the IndyCar and IMSA side to find sponsorship and drivers to be a consistent force. Part of me wonders if Ricardo will have any upturn in fortune there to have them on the grid at St. Pete. Any other teams you're worried about? Or do we, what about Harding Steinbrenner? That might be the other one that comes to mind. Well, you know, I mean, I think it's going to be Steinbrenner Andretti for Colton. That I don't, I mean, I guess I I should drive by the uh, the Harding shop and just to see what's going on. And I mean, they're you know they're going to make it to the last race, but uh, you know what their future is. I, I don't. I certainly don't have a clue. I mean, I think it's up in the air. And but I mean, Colton, you know, I mean, he has to keep taking steps forward. He can't go lateral and. You know, him and Brian are the first guys to say, look, if they can, if Mike can answer the bell next year, we're plenty happy with his team. We've got, you know, I mean, Nathan O'Rourke has done a great job and their, their pit stops. I mean, they've done a, they've done a really, really nice job. So it's a matter of, it's all like everything else. It's a matter of, will they have the money to do it? But the more that you, you hear about stuff, the more you think it, it's probably going to be a Steinbrenner Andretti relationship, or at least it sounds like that. Part of me wonders, which is another thing for you and I to chase, is with Colton expected to be in that fifth full-time Andretti Autosport car, will the Andretti team or the Harding team possibly find another driver, quality driver with funding, to backfill Colton's spot? Uh, I've heard one driver mention, actually I've heard two, one that we've known about for a little while, another one which has just cropped up, so think there could be some possibilities there, but definitely need to check in with the team or you, if you could just drop by and honk, see if someone comes out and answers your question real quick. Uh, that would be a good one to chase down. Here's an interesting one for you from John Hollinger says, Robin, besides the advent of the internet and social media, your two favorite things, the way sports are covered has completely been revolutionized. What has been the biggest challenge in keeping up with these changes for you? And what does the future hold? He says, for a young person looking to be the next Robin Miller or Marshall Pruitt, don't do that. Where should they be focusing? Well, uh, get comfortable in front of a camera. Learn all about what Marshall does with blogs. Take pictures. Do everything you we can. We don't blog. We're professionals. We write. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right, right. Well, learn how to write, and then you can be a blog. But be, a, be a good word writer. Er. Yeah, I mean, the better you can write, the better. It's just that there's so few places for kids to go i mean we've got racer magazine and there's a couple of websites that pay and unless and unless i've been hearing things wrong for the last couple of years there's a lot of websites where guys write for free and that's fine if you're 75 or 80 years old and you got money and you're just doing it because you still love racing but 
the biggest the biggest challenge is is to dispel everybody's an expert now and everybody has a forum because of the internet so what you try and do is when somebody says hey did you see what this guy said on facebook you try and dispel every rumor or every you know incorrect story or fact and sometimes you know you just don't even bother to if they're too absurd but I think that's probably the biggest thing that's changed in my lifetime because for for the better part of 40 years, the Indianapolis Star was the paper of record along with Speed Sport News. So if something broke or something happened, either we had it or Speed Sport News had it, and that's where people had to go. So uh, it's just that's probably the biggest change. What do you, what do you, what do you, what's the biggest change you've seen in your 30 years? Well, I'd have to go in that same direction. It's probably – Exactly what you mentioned with the advent of easy access, you, the standards of having to learn the trade, there being some form of, you know, single A ball, double A ball, working your way up as a reporter, a journalist, building a reputation and trust. Not as if you don't have to do these things today. It's just most don't. Uh, You can indeed start your own whatever, post whatever it is that you want. And the at least traditional checks and balances of the industry are kind of honored and accepted at will. And so what we get today is, you know, we get folks, whether it's blogging or doing video blogs or whatever, where it's not a bad thing at all. That's often, you know, it's called, call that the grassroots. Well, I guess where I, I start to get a little bit frustrated is if that's all you do, it's just basically what I call fan media. And you go, cool, you have access, you can write whatever you want. You don't necessarily know maybe the inside stuff or have to rely on the traditional reporting from a Robin Miller or whomever to get the subjects that you talk about. That's just the thing that I find a little bit weird. Let's say at Portland, there was a story that came out that you and I saw. You and I said, oh, really? (laughs) No, that's not accurate. And did not touch. There's nothing for us to write about because we knew that what was written was completely inaccurate. The follow-up to that, and good on folks are asking, was, hey, we saw that one of your rivals wrote something, and you guys have not touched it. Uh, what's the deal? Did you miss it, or is there a reason? And you have to try and be polite and say, I can't question what someone else chooses to do. Just because someone else did it doesn't mean that we're going to do it. And so as a result, you know, you reach out and say, so I saw a person wrote this thing. Is that accurate? And then you find out at times, uh, yeah, you might not want to write that. And so you don't. So that's become something I've seen for sure. That as you pointed out, there's a lot of folks saying a lot of things and hopefully, uh, readers and our readers can pick and choose between those. They feel have maybe earned that voice or earned the respect or whatever it is where you go. Okay. No one's ever going to be perfect. Everyone's going to make mistakes, but at least we believe this person uh, can be trusted versus, hey, this person I've never really heard of who no one has really ever seen in an IndyCar paddock before is making claims and writing stories. Maybe that's not someone to invest your full trust in for accuracy. I always say go look for something better. I tell folks about tell that to folks about what you and I do as well. Like, look. There's always someone better. Uh, Don't hesitate to start. Try and start at the top and go with the best instead of starting with kind of the bottom and then relying on that information. So um, that's maybe my two cents as well. 
Is it even two cents? It might just be one well, cent. It, might be, it could be a nickel. I'm not sure. Let's go to Mark Sanchez. Says, I tuned in. By the way, Mark sorry Sanchez. your football career hasn't panned out, Mark. But I know. Um, I tuned into the Brickyard race Sunday for a few minutes. I couldn't help but think, why bother? What has gone wrong for NASCAR at the Speedway? And does Robin take any pleasure at how far that race has sunk? How much longer slash will the Speedway continue with it? Also says, what has been NBC's take on this year's IndyCar rating? Uh, and what's been the best part of this year's s- coverage with the new TV deal, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So let's start with the Brickyard, Robin, one of your favorite topics. The Brickyard 400, won by, well, I couldn't even tell you. It's just, um, they're going to have the Brickyard as long as the, until the, until this current TV contract expires because they get about $20 million dollars. And television revenue before one ticket sold, counting the Brickyard and the Xfinity race. So there, I mean, it's it's a it's a nice little it's a nice little financial bonanza for a weekend. Uh, when that TV contract's renegotiated and that crazy money goes away, will the Speedway will the Speedway want to continue to have the Brickyard? I can't imagine. Maybe if they're given the race without a sanction fee, they'd try it. But I can't imagine them paying a sanction fee of any any substantial amount of money and saying, Oh yeah, we're going to make this work. I mean, I, it's just, it's, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a terrible race, but it it traditionally has been a pretty bad race because it's just not a good track for NASCAR. And, you know, there was, there've been talk about putting lights in, what were you going to spend $20 million on lights to draw 25,000 people? I mean, it just doesn't work. And there was also talk about, let's go to the road course, which I think would have been a smart idea put NASCAR on the road course because their two best races right now are, are one or two of their best races are Watkinsville and Sonoma. So that would give them a chance. I think I'd give them a fighting chance to maybe bring a little bit of the crowd back. But as, as much as open wheel fans, you know, they like as many people were gloating at the, at the lack of people there Sunday, they still had 2 million people watch the race. And that's a million more than we had watch uh, Portland when we really didn't have a competition. And NASCAR continues to set this pace as far as, you know, two, three, four million people watch a race, uh, especially if it's on NBC. But they get a couple million people on cable, which is damn good. So I think NBC's, uh, I think they're 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 pleased that they tend, that the the numbers have, have gone up. Not huge, but they've gone up. Indy was up a little bit, and they had a nice, uh, pretty good hit at, at Pocono, and they had a pretty good hit at. Uh, at Portland, but you know, we just got to be, got to be realistic. I mean, it's not going to jump up three or four points. I mean, it's going to be, you know, we had 1.1 million people watch Portland and people are, and there wasn't a lot of competition. So that doesn't sound that good, but believe me, when you get 500,000 people on cable, that is good. Other thing I'll throw in here quickly is not super long ago, but when we had a lot of health, vitality money coming in in indycar in nascar in the alms whatever i would say back in the 2000s um early 2000s late 2000s when there was a lot of money there were some really strong series fighting against one another things were flush the haha look series x is stumbling thing you know there was at least something to it a bit of a, a cheering for whatever thing you like the most, maybe at the expense of the other one. Just looking at things now, Robin, and I, I'm sure I was one of those people too. Just looking at things now where you go, man, 
half the IndyCar teams are really, if not more, are worried about their budget for next year. IMSA is downsizing in a number of areas on the team side, pulling out for this, that, and the, re- the other. NASCAR is certainly weaker than it's ever been. I mean, I don't take any delight in seeing a bad Brickyard 400 crowd because that means the Speedway is earning less money. Uh, the series NASCAR is looking weak. I don't expect IndyCar to surpass NASCAR in my lifetime again. It was when I was young, but it hasn't been for a long time. I don't know if and when that's ever going to happen again, but I'm just trying to think of the bigger thing of motor racing and it still being around and being healthy. And it just pains me in, in a greater sense when I continue to see the Brickyard 400 that was once a big thing just continue to fall. So at least for hashtag me personally, uh, I take no delight in seeing their struggles. You, on the other hand, I know you're betting against it and hopefully no, I, making money. Actually, I think uh, Sam Flood of NBC had had all three series together since they're all three on NBC and said, listen, there's no more of this pointing fingers and laughing at each other and ha-ha, we're doing good, you're not. We're all in this together. We're going to promote each other's races. And if you watch the NASCAR coverage on NBC, it's it's in, that's IndyCar's best. It's it's in one of IndyCar's best marketing tools. I mean, they talk about the races all weekend. If it, if there's an IndyCar race coming up on Sunday and they're racing on Saturday night, they talk about it, or they preview the next week's race. They talk about who's leading the championship, and Jeff Burton and and Kyle Petty and they're all and Dale Jr. They're all real good about keeping IndyCar in the conversation. And I think when you got IMSA thrown into the mix and there's a couple double headers and maybe a couple more in the future, it, you just have to say, look, we're trying to keep racing afloat here and it's the whole group. And the fact that NBC's got all three makes it even more imperative to kind of pull for each other. Let's go to Dylan Burgett. He says, are there any big silly season surprises that are likely to come or the deal's done just waiting to be announced? I know there's a couple things you and I are tracking. The the spam thing, obviously, whatever you know, Arrow McLaren SP chooses to do, I think that's going to lead the silly season. Is there anything that you can think of that you're like, oh, there's a big one coming, or are you like me thinking, eh, I don't, I think we might have crossed off the majority of the things folks don't know about. No, I I don't think there's anything left. I mean, Erickson's going to end up somewhere, I think, because he's done a nice job and, I, and he's got sponsorship. So, and I think your buddy Renus VK, if he ends up with Ed, that'll be a good story. Oliver Askew would like to see him get three or four races next year at least. So you got, you've still got young guys, you know, feeding their way in. And you've got, you know, you just kind of look at, you know, is Spencer going to keep his ride? I think he is. I hope he is. And that'd be great uh, with Ed. So uh, Foyt's situation is a huge question mark. How many cars? Who's going to drive them? Uh, we know Kanan wants a farewell season, and he's certainly earned it, but where will it be? And there's not too many places for him to go. Um, so it, it's there's. I don't think the surprises might be, will Tony get a ride with somebody that surprises? If I was Tony, I think we talked about this on our on our Silly Season video, which you're going to run next week, is that I would just go try and find the best Indy 500 ride I could and make that my farewell race instead of worrying about flogging around, you know, trying to put some deal together that's not going to. If you could go to Penske or Ganassi or Andretti and say, look, I got some sponsorship. Give me a chance. I want to run the Indy 500 and have one more real good shot. I think that would be, I just think that would be more beneficial to him than just being an also ran at, at, at a lot of the races. 
I also don't think Tony would do a farewell at Indy. I think it would, we, you might even call it that, but then we'd know he'd be coming back the next year, even if he said he wasn't and back and back. Um, Dylan, to be honest, I did just think of one I'd forgotten about. There is a potential alliance uh, that I know of that I need to check in on. And if that were to happen, I think a lot of people go, really? Really? Um, it even surpri- it surprised me that same way when I heard about it. So uh, more stuff to follow. I, I hate the fact that we have a lot of things we're needing to do and check in and uh, file officially instead of break here on the good old podcast. But uh, the podcast isn't our client. Let's go to uh, our pals at the uh, Reddit IndyCar group. Timely Tough 7 says, Long-time listener, first-time question submitter. Want to get your guys' thoughts on the possibility that Colton Herta could sign with Penske for the 2021 season. He said in one of Robin's recent mailbags, he mentioned that he wouldn't be surprised if RP signed someone like Colton or maybe Arenas VK sometime after next season, especially with the aging core of current Penske drivers, Joseph excluded. What are your guys' thoughts? I think... I, I think for sure that Roger Penske's always got a chair when the music stops to quote Danny Sullivan. He's always ahead of the posse. He always, he's always got his eye down the road and Colton heard what better guy to, to build for the future than him. I mean, you know, Will's had a great, great career. And I think Will like to drive a couple, like to run a couple more years. Uh, and if, if, if Pagano ends up being the McLaren driver of choice in two years, then there's, there's going to be at least one seat open. But I, I, I would think, I, I would just think that that's exact. I mean, Penn, I asked Roger, geez, I don't know when it was back in July or something. I said, how about Colton hurting? He says, Oh, we got our eye on him. He's a hell of a driver, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he didn't say much. He never does, but you, you got to know that he's, he, he's got to be impressed. And he's got to be paying attention. Would also say here that looking at, RP's general approach, someone like Arenas VK, who we think is going to be a badass, Roger's going to need to see him be a badass first before he signs him. That's the way RP does things. Uh, he needs to see it first, then invest. And so Renus would need to have a really impressive rookie season. Frankly, a Colton Hurdle-like rookie season next year for that to be possible, provided he doesn't sign a multi-year contract right away. But yeah, there's no doubt, though, that RP Robin is uh, staring at needing to freshen one or two of those seats just because their drivers are getting closer to 40 than 30. Let's go to uh, L. Jones Arena. Said, hey, apart from using social media and talking to friends, are there other ways that fans can be helpful to IndyCar and its promoters to help build support for our home tracks? Says, knowing what you know of the business, would they be interested in hearing from the locals? on potential business partners or untapped advertising opportunities. Robin, I got to believe we almost need to ring Jay Fry and have him set up a hotline number because this is exactly what the series and its tracks could use. We had someone last week who mentioned from Portland said, uh, was really disappointed at the tracks beer choice. I think the vendor that they partnered with was Coors or Budweiser or some generic stuff like that and said, hey, we have more craft breweries in Portland than anywhere else you're going to go to for an IndyCar race. Why did they not tap into this local culture? Uh, and I think it's kind of coming from that angle and aspect. What do you think? Do we need to get uh, 
IndyCar need sponsors going, or uh, what kind of things should we pass on to IndyCar's leadership here? I'm not even sure it's the leadership as, as much as the – I mean, you know, if, if you got an idea for Portland, then you need to just get a hold of Kevin Savory and Kim Green. And, and Savory said – I talked to him on the phone the other day that, you know, they had a couple pretty good leads, they thought, and those people came to the Portland race, their potential title sponsor. So they're in desperate – you know, they desperately need a title sponsor of Portland. I think we saw it this year. The crowd was not as good as the first year. And – you know, there wasn't a lot of advertising, and and the fan, people living in Portland were saying we didn't know. That. So until you get somebody like, and you're not going to get a Jonathan Bomarito, he's he is a rare breed. But until you get somebody that can help you promote the race, that's how you're gonna that's that's how you're gonna make it, and that's how you're gonna sustain it. Let's go to where should we go next? Let's go to Nathan Cook, who says last week there was an awesome turnout for the BC thirty nine little dirt car event at IMS. Any chance IndyCar could go back to its roots and do some events teamed up with USAC? He says that would make for an awesome weekend. What do you say, USAC's biggest fan, Robin Miller? Mm, I say that uh, Gateway wants to run the Silver Crown cars as part of their weekend, and that'll probably happen sooner than later if they can figure out a date. Uh, But that's what it's going to have to be. It would have to be... Uh, a silver crown or a midget race in conjunction with indie cars and and it's fine it's it's as long as they run them at a decent hour when they had the big when when USAC redid the silver crown division and, and came up with those hideous cars cuz Bill France had convinced them that they were going to be partners and then the first two USAC races were at 3:30 on Friday afternoon in front of 11 people and, a, and an usher you're like yeah they're not really your partners are they so it's got to be it's got to be a preliminary race and it's got to be at a, at a at promoted well. And it's got to also be at a time where there's going to be some people in the grandstands like there are at St. Louis. So gateways, the perfect place. And I think that's what you'll see. Let's go to Nick Dovniak who says, if we roll the clocks back a few years and give Simona D Silvestro or Catherine leg, the same three-year contract that Zach Veach has right now, uh, three years on a strong team, how different would the landscape be today? Would we have more women on the road to Indy or would we still be looking at a pretty barren ladder system for women? That's a great question, Nick. Yeah. I mean, if Simona would have just been given a real chance with a real team and could have got that manager out of the way, I mean, she would have been, she would have been the, she was, she still is the best we've seen. And she, I I think, (laughs) Could she have won a race? Oh, yeah. I think she could have. I mean, she was that good. Catherine, on the other hand, was thrown to the wolves, you know, back in her in the champ car days because Cal Coven needed somebody to combat Danica. Well, Catherine wasn't ready. She is now. Uh, I mean, she's improved by leaps and bounds. So, again, uh, you know, you watched her run the Delta Wing car pretty damn well in IMSA, and, and she, you know, her champ car seasons weren't very good, but she didn't have any experience. And I think now if she, I mean, she's trying to put a deal together for Indy next year, just for the Indy 500, but Simona would have been the one that would have, and and Simona was becoming popular with the fans because she bounced back from being burned and flipping at Indy. And she just had a great spirit about her. And, uh, yeah, I just hate to see her career waste away, but that's what pretty much has happened. Little fun sidebar here. Uh, I don't want to say made the mistake, of uh, listing my email address in an episode about a month ago, but 
I don't know if the person's bipolar or just a scumbag, but uh, one person whose emails have now been filtered just to be deleted right away um, thought that my suggestion last week that IndyCar and the Road to Indy really would benefit from having more women, that's an obvious statement, and people of color uh, would probably help reflect the changing world in a better way than we do now. I got a great email saying uh, we don't need women or blacks in IndyCar. So that was, yes, yay, progress, 2019, we rock. Uh, let's go to Jeff Barack. He says, I know Robin has mentioned this, but have you heard any talk from those in the series, either owners, drivers, or officials, concerning a need to change something regarding the starts at Portland and its unsuitable first turn? I'll take this one. Um, this one, this topic definitely is a grading one for me, Robin, because there's nothing wrong with turn one at Portland. Uh, we, we see racing series. We see drivers get through it just fine. Um, just because something is hard doesn't mean you should remove the thing that's hard. Uh, I think as we mentioned last week on the show and in our Sunday video, we're recording right after the IndyCar race where a bunch of drivers made a lot of dumb mistakes and knocked out a lot of cars and then watched a bunch of teenagers in the following road to Indy race, 20 plus cars go sailing into turn one without a problem. Um, I just cannot see the merit of, Oh, we keep drivers in the IndyCar series, keep screwing up and hitting each other. I realize there are other series that do it too, but the corner isn't new. (laughs) It's been there for a long time, a long time. Um, the fact that folks are making mistakes is a testament to how hard it is. I just don't like the idea in racing of, oh, well, if people keep crashing because something is hard, we'll just take away the things that are hard. Um, it's upon the drivers to do things that aren't dumb. And so I don't think changing the start at Portland to just accommodate, to dumb things down and make it easier, I just don't ever think that's really the way to go. If it's unsafe, Sure. But it's not as if going through that turn one festival, the festival corners, the little chicane there, it's not as if that proposition started when IndyCar returned in 2018. So I've heard nothing about we're going to change it. We're going to do something totally different just because our drivers so far haven't been able to figure it out. Let's go. No, but it was your buddy Ryan Smith and Chevrolet that suggested let's just do what MC used to do blow up the don't use the chicane and just start and right, go straight to, and use the first turn and get them spaced a little more. I like that idea, especially if you're a paying customer and you watch one of your drivers get knocked out a hundred yard, you know, a hundred feet into the first corner. I mean, you know, it makes you not want to come back. So sometimes you got to be smart about protecting the drivers from themselves. And if that's an easy fix, then do it. But in all seriousness, other than Portland and Pocono, the starts have been pretty good. I mean, we, we got through Toronto and Long Beach and place, Alaska. The drivers have usually been doing a pretty good job, but those two tracks, for whatever reason, that's been their that's been their trouble spot. Let's go to Andre Good. Says, "What is IndyCar thinking with a three week break before the final race? Double points and a new track can only do so much for keeping IndyCar in the spotlight. This needs to be remedied." Andre also said, "His soapbox moment is sponsored by Joe Tonto's." quarter retrieval service which uh is my favorite reference to the movie driven ever 
Yeah, can't argue the break, Robin. Uh, I don't know. Uh, are we really thinking that IndyCar was just high in the national register and everyone was thinking about it through Portland and now they've forgotten? Um, is this a real problem or a perceived problem? Yeah, it's pr- when you're off for six months, that's the problem. Being off for a couple of weeks is not a problem. And, you know, again, you you have to do what is best for the promoters a lot. Of time. I mean, you can't just your ideal schedule isn't necessarily going to be exactly how the promoters can work. They got to it's a tough thing to figure out a schedule. I mean, Stephen Starks and I were talking about this the other day, just about how, you know, everybody's like, why can't you do this? Why can't you? Well, there's a golf tournament in town that weekend. Well, there's another race uh, the week before. Well, here's, you know, it's just like the Coda Sebring thing was a perfect example. I think Sebring moved back a week and I think Coda was up against it because Texas was coming along and then they had the MotoGP and they were pretty much locked in until they, you know, they moved, they agreed to move to the end of, of April, which is great because now it's probably better for everybody. But it wasn't that they were trying to screw Sebring or screw themselves. Sometimes you just don't have, it's just, that's the way it works out. Let's go to Jameen Tuttle says, what a year. I feel like the series continues to trend upwards with TV partners, quality shows, and the new 2022 package and fans says we brought two new folks to the Indy GP this year and they loved it. How do you guys feel the IndyCar series is heading? Is it still up? I think competition-wise, it's it, it, yeah, it's there's what, what do we have? Twenty-two cars separated by nine tenths of a second around a three-mile road course. I mean, it's insanity. I mean, you can't. You know, that's why I used to argue with AJ when he said, "Oh, dampers make a couple tenths difference." And I'm going, "Yeah, that's like six rows." <laughs> huh. So it's. There's no serious, you know, Rossi said it today on the teleconference. There's no, it's the best competitive series in the world. And it is, it's, there's nothing like it other than maybe flat track motorcycles or USAC sprint cars. But I mean, for the, for the, for the top league in racing, I don't know that it can get much better. And I just hope it continues to trend this way. And I hope that, you know, when they go to the new cars and new engines, that we don't lose anything because right now it's as good as it's ever been. I think, Jameen, the, the takeaway that I'm having as we have some sort of great feedback going, I believe that we are in a position where rivalries are getting built that weren't necessarily there before the New Garden versus Rossi thing. While they are not super aggro on a individual level or relationship-wise, I think we're just seeing something that IndyCar can work with. That's what gives me a lot of hope. We're going to do this every year. We're going to come back every year. We're going to have a series. We're going to love it, etc. But I think the series is is primed with some great young talent. I mean, heck, New Garden and Rossi are still young in their 20s, and we've now got kids not even in their 20s or, or maybe just barely 20 who are nipping at their heels, You know, whether it's a Colton or a Felix or whomever. There's just a lot of youth. There's a lot of, of real crazy talent that's come in. I think we have a, a serious Penske versus Andretti dynamic going, which is great for so long, Robin, maybe even too long. It was Ganassi versus Penske. Uh, and I think Ganassi is just, you know, will be back in that frame. And it's still, they're still in that fight too. But this has become a real Andretti's best young driver 
versus Penske's best young driver thing. Now a couple years in a row. No, last year Dixon was uh, the primary foe for Rossi as we got down to the end of the season. But nonetheless, I'm just I'm looking at what we have here, saying a few years ago, Robin, you and I were having conversations of man. Some of the current stars are getting old, going to transition out. Who's going to be there? Who can really take things over with Joseph moving to Penske in 2017, Rossi developing and whatnot, and some of the newer talent that continues to rise up behind them. We still have a Graham Rahal, who we know could be in the fight. The things we feared were a little bit shaky or unclear. I feel like we've got a lot of clarity, and I feel like IndyCar finally has something they can really build upon. Uh, for many years to go now because of all this, the youth and strong rival rivalries that are getting built. And there's a lot of drivers we didn't even mention there. Um, let's go to Cat S. Thanks, Cat. Says, Robin, you were quoted last week saying to expect some announcements at the end of the week regarding driver lineups. So we haven't heard anything, any updates on that front you can share here. Did you lie to folks? Oh, we already uh, said we're liars and scumbags and whatnot in the beginning. So that's to be expected. Uh, God, I, 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 I don't remember saying that, but I probably did. I mean, I don't know what I, there was nothing, there was nothing, uh, nothing till after the season. We knew for sure about McLaren Aero SPM. That's going to be after the year. And Foyt said in the story I wrote, him and Larry will decide at the end of the season after the last race, who the drivers are. So I don't know. I don't drink, so and I haven't done heroin for a couple of months, so I'm not exactly sure why. The I, meth I, is I, looking I, good I, on you, though. The meth is looking good. Well, meth is it's taking a toll on my teeth, but that's okay. Fair enough. That's why you've cut down on the hard candies. <laughs> I got it. I, got I, I know. It. To answer his question, there's nothing. It's, it's a her, but that's okay. I, oh, sorry, Cat. What? I, I, there's nothing that's. I don't think we're going to learn anything, unless. Unless Ed Carpenter would tell us who his drivers are for next year, this at at Laguna, I think that's maybe the that might be the only maybe that could be the only uh, announcement. If yeah, you, you I, anybody else? I you thought know? there might have been an announcement end of last week, earlier this week. I've been told by that team it's probably a week away and who knows could even be delayed beyond that. So again, I apologize for not being, being able to fill in specifics, but part of how we do what we do is either gaining trust or accepting embargoes and whatnot. So while sharing the fact that an embargo is in place is not betraying anything. Um, yeah, there's been a few things cat that I would say would have happened as Robin mentioned on that timeline that maybe have gone a little bit sideways due to uh, whatever things behind the scenes that I don't even know if we have a full picture on. I spoke with one team owner today who said, yeah, we, we just had some things kind of blow up. And so we thought everything was done. Now they aren't got to get them fixed, but I'm confident we're going to get them fixed. Just can't say exactly when we'll be announcing it. So it's kind of a normal thing, to be honest, a little bit of inside baseball, the, Hey, this is happening on this date at this time, at this minute, you always write it down. You also don't necessarily expect it to play out that way because changes tend to happen in motor racing. Let me go to answer a quick one here, Robin, from Lord of the Tires. It says, with the auto industry going to four-cylinder engines, is it prudent for IndyCar to be regulating a six-cylinder formula uh, instead of the 2.4 liter, maybe? He says, my understanding is that if you can specify the bore, boost, displacement, and RPM, etc., it would be possible to balance the various cylinder configurations of a V6 
inline six, inline four, etc., to prevent one layout from being uncompetitive or cost prohibitive. These are all the things you just talk about endlessly, Robin. Um, I can't believe you're taking this question and not letting me handle it. That kind of pisses me off. I know. It says, partially related. I know Honda went to a twin turbo configuration after their single turbo was uncompetitive, but why were the rules re-homologated to require twin turbo? Me personally, I'd like to see one design. Uh, if it's so obviously superior to just let the manufacturers make these decisions themselves, Instead of regulating it through the rule book, best wishes to me and my family. Thank you. No best wishes to you. So I guess you're a bad person, Robin. Um, I hear you. I don't disagree. I've said the similar thing for a while. Hey, uh, why not give a general framework and let the manufacturers choose what they want? But then you learn, well, we wrote these rules working with the manufacturers, at least the two that they have. And this is what they felt was most relevant. So in asking what we have here is at least the two that are playing. We don't know if there'll be more. We hope, but we don't know. This is what they want. And just from a really practical standpoint, if Chevy and Honda say 2.4 liter twin turbo V6 works for us, and they're the only ones making engines, leasing engines, and supporting the series, that's not something to mess with. Nope. Uh, let's go to Sean Olmstead. Who asks, have I seen the new safety improvements to the track at Monterey yet? And if so, will it make a difference? I've seen a couple, Sean, uh, some tall fencing put up in places, say the exit of the corkscrew on the left that weren't there that some of my photographer friends are really grumpy about. I'll have to take a closer look. I didn't get out a lot during August's Rolex reunion, the uh, historics, uh, but I will certainly be taking a look this weekend when I'm down for IMSA. So maybe I will remember to comment back on this. Here's something for you. Our master of tracks and scheduling comes in from Rick Billingsley, who says, Robin, what does IndyCar have to do to get another oval on the schedule? He says, preferably something under a one and a half miler. Well, well, they're getting Richmond, brother. That's a, that's a seven eighths of a mile. I don't know what else you mean. That's, you know, you're, you replace poke, you replace one oval with another, and you still got five on the schedule. So, I mean, as tough as it is to draw people at ovals, I think we're kind of until somebody, I don't know, you know, we're pretty much exhausted. I keep people saying, well, let's go back to Loudon. Oh, great. Yeah. And draw 10,000 people. No, I don't think we need to go back to Loudon. And I'm not sure that everybody, every other week, it's, it's Michigan or it's Kentucky or it's Chicago. I think Kentucky might have maybe an outside chance someday, but who knows? I mean, it's, it, if they don't want you, you can't go there. That's, I mean, I, I, I only write that every week. If they don't want you, you're not going to go there. And Dennis Bickmeyer and Richmond have been working on this for two years. They want an IndyCar back. They want to try again. And, and I think that it'll be successful because just because of Dennis and those people know how to promote and they're, they're ambitious and they're enthusiastic. And that's what you got to have. Well, that's kind of crazy reasoning there. Well, uh, pretty yeah, stupid. But. Yes, that's okay. The folks still listen to us. Quick one here to answer from Zach Eckler. This is MP. Hope everything is continuing to proceed in a positive direction with your wife. Uh, the answer to that is yes, except for her choice of husband. Always great to see you back at the track. Just had a couple questions. Are you still going to have weekly podcasts after the IndyCar season? Well, the answer would be yes, Zach. Uh, we've had weekly IndyCar podcasts since we launched. Robin and I launched the first one and whenever we did that in 2017. So yes, we don't stop because the season stops. Uh, and actually I can announce next week's guest provided he doesn't change his mind. 
That'll be uh, Team Penske President Tim Sindrick, who will be making his first Week in IndyCar podcast presence. Um, also says, what is your view on the aero screen as far as setups are considered? Will they have any data that they can use from previous years for the 2020 car configuration? Yes, as our pal Craig Hampson said a few weeks ago on the show with that 50 pounds, 50 pounds, Robin, of weight bolted atop the cockpit, how that is going to affect the handling of the car, the weight distribution, tire usage, springs, everything. They're going to have to go to all new setups. And I'm not saying they have no clue, Zach, but yes, uh, everyone will have to modify their setups somewhat significantly to deal with this lump of protective device all right fun one here from mike stoops says mp since you cover both indycar and imsa and are a fan of mma i'd like to know who you think would win in a mascot grudge match would it be bib the michelin man or the firestone firehawk says hope to see you at laguna seca best to you your wife and your cat rocky you left out rosie which means she's going to claw the crap out of me tonight uh mike i would say Firestone Firehawk. Reason being, I've known a few of the people that have dressed up as Firehawk. Yeah. Let's just say that the uh, the the prison tracking ankle bracelet was still attached. So, yeah, tends to be some nice people dressed up as Bib. Um, Firestone Firehawk. They're pretty much lined up outside the jail, waiting to bolt people into that suit. I believe Robin Miller's been in it a few times too. So no, further proof that prison. I folk. got a, I got a good story. Steve Shunk did it one year, and uh, he Dario was married to Ashley Judd, and Shunk first he bumped into her twice, and that pissed her off. Then he stepped on her foot on on purpose, <laughs> and, she, and she's really starting to get nasty about this, and she's she's about had it. And I'm not sure if we clued Dario in on who on who the Firestone Firehawk was, but after about the uh, one more time, across, she, I mean she 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 just about snapped, and that and we finally we finally tapped her on the shoulder and said, "By the way, that that's Steve Shunt. He's having some fun with you." So that was that was that was my favorite mascot memory. So kidding aside, obviously our folks, our friends at Firestone wouldn't be hiring hiring at least known convicts. But yeah, I, I've seen a couple folks get into the Firehawk suit that you're like, all right, um, I think they'd win in a good old MMA mascot grudge match here. Let's go to Robbie Berggren as we wind down to about the last 10 minutes or so. Robin, what odds will you put on Joseph Newgarden winning more championships than Scott Dixon at this stage of his career, meaning if Joseph, when Joseph is 38, 39, and he says, what's your over-under on how many championships Joseph wins before he retires? That's a good question. I'd say he's going to win at least four. I'm not sure he can get to five, but uh, how's that for being a wimp? I'm in agreement. I think Joseph is going to be in the three to four range, which is some fairly rarefied air. Getting to five, knowing that I still think Dixie can get a sixth before he retires, yeah, I think that that might be... Keep in mind that Dixie won a championship, what, in his second year in the series or in IndyCar, something like that, third maybe, whatever it was. You know, yeah, two thousand two thousand three. So he had a, a year of cart, right? Yeah. Do you have two years do you have two years in cart or one? One or I I'm forgetting at this point, but yeah, it was with Pac West, then moved over to Ganassi in right. the Earl and won you know, keep in mind that Joseph really was not in a championship winning situation until I think what his fifth year? 
six, whatever it was, uh, he'd been in the series for a good while. So just, you know, had Joseph been in a similar, had that Penske hired him in his, for, after his first year, maybe second. Yeah. I, I just think Dixie might've had a advantage of time and youth to get started on that front. Let's go to Lance Snyder. Robin, how many for F's sake do you say weekly when you're reading potential mailbag questions? I know the answer to this one, but please just share with folks. What is the experience like knowing that you get the same question over and over every week from good folks who I think read the mailbag, but still for whatever reason, don't see the fact that they're asking something they likely read the week before. And what's it like knowing I know how guilty you feel sending me technical questions to answer that you know I'm answering for like the seventh time in a span of two weeks or whatever. What is that like? And how many F words are thrown during this process? Uh, you know, it, it's sometimes it, it's become humorous, and that's because our editor at Racer, Mark Lundening, if you read his captions on the photos he runs in the mailbag, like today, he said, I, I think today's question, one of the, one of the, big, one of the big bitches – today in the mailbag was uh you know my god these guys why did they lose their mind at portland why can't they why can't they get through the first turn of portland what the hell's wrong with these guys what are we going to do about this are we going to have to how about start them on the back stretch or whatever like that and if you saw mark's uh, if you saw mark's response it was pretty funny because it's i'm looking for it right now because that's why i'm 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 stalling for time i want to make sure i phrase it right because I think he says uh, something about uh, a magnet pole or some kind of a magnet pole at Portland. But so you got to be, you got to read his. You, it's half the fun because he's had he's had to edit the mailbag for a long time, and it says, "Oh yeah, here we go." In years to come, scientists will discover that the apex of Turn One at Portland has a stronger gravitational pull than any other place on Earth. And then everything will start to make sense. <laughs> wow, no, that's, that's pretty funny. So, when are know, we going back to uh, to Cleveland? By the way, yeah. Well, sadly, the, in, in all seriousness, I think they're tearing Burke Lakefront Airport down, which is sad to hear. But that would be the end of any chance of ever going back there. But when people write the same questions, you just have to think: okay, they skim over the mailbag if it's ten pages long, like today, because that's a lot of questions and that's a lot of answers. And a lot of people don't have that kind of time, but you don't get, you can never get mad because people take the time to write. And I'm, I'm always amazed 12 months a year that people write in and, and, you know, you'd like to see them. There's some really good questions and there's some really passionate people that write in and the, and the ones that write about Michigan or Kentucky or Loudoun or Cleveland or want to go back there's just because they have good memories there and that's where they want to go back. But you can't, I don't think we can convince them. Look, Nothing is going to happen at those places because Michigan doesn't want the race back. Chicago doesn't want the race back. Loudoun doesn't want the race back. Pocono didn't want the race back until they got their second race taken away at NASCAR. So, you know, it's you don't get mad. It's kind of it gets to be humorous. And now that Mark Lundenning's made kind of a he's kind of made a, a little game out of be sure and read the captions to the pictures because they're pretty funny. OK, we're going to hustle through a few more here. We just kind of lost you there. I think that was Derek uh, trying to send a little Scud missile your way. But all right, well, if we got a little bit of extra time, then I won't read things. I should have never. I should have never said that to you. 
So, all right, so we got another six hours left. Let's get started here. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's go to Todd Hutchins. Says, fellas, what do you think the biggest IndyCar store of the year will be? Will it be Spam, Rossi re-signing with Andretti Autosport, AeroScreens, Pocono, ABC leaving AJ Foyt Racing, something not listed or coming soon to a media outlet? I got my pick. What's yours? Ooh, I, I, I would have to say the story of the year. Are are Colton and Santino? I think they're the story. I just think their emergence. Uh, I think that's the story. Uh, to me, it's a the series is about the racing's about drivers and and people thrilling you. And I think those two kids are the story of the year. I think it is miracles can still happen at the Indy Five Hundred, Todd. Uh, it's not just McLaren failing to qualify. It's the fact that. Funkos racing with a busted car that wasn't optimized arrow wise and dragon speed, which I'd never seen in oval that these two teams that everyone, myself included loved, but counted out said, Nope, they're not making the show. These two Kyle Kaiser being the one to just drive the, the stake into the heart of Fernando Alonso at the Indy freaking 500 on pennies. Um, that's the one that I think we're going to remember just as a standalone incident from 2019. That's just, that's to me is going to be the one. Um, let's go to two. Now this, I don't know. We're gonna have to be a little careful here. You and I have spent many, many minutes talking about this one privately. Nick Fletcher says, guys, what does capstone and the, the guests renewable energy sponsorship mean? He says, I know Rossi Colton and Connor are all signed with guests. But the Harding-Steinbrenner racing team has struggled with funding all year. Ross, Rossi ran it as a limited thing for one race, and Connor posts about them regularly with no ride money. What am I missing? I mean, it's it's safe to say that thanks. We seriously need to thank Guess for introducing Capstone to IndyCar because Capstone has stayed on and been an invaluable part of keeping the HSR team on track late in the season here, Robin. But folks with good eyes would note that guess has gone away altogether, right? Right. No, you put it, that's the best way to put it, brother, just how you did. With that capstone, I don't think we see, uh, I don't think we'd have seen Colton Hurt in the last two or three races. And will they be back next year? They seem to be pretty, you know, I don't know how much money it's worth, but they seem to be pretty fired up about uh, IndyCar racing. So, if Harding could answer the bell, that would be that might be his godsend. Let's go to John Richter. Oh, look, actually, I'll just add to that quickly, Nick. Yeah. So there are big plans announced. There's press conference. There were statements from team even saying, "Hey, you know, guesses our sponsor and everything's good." We knew behind the scenes that not everything was maybe lining up uh, from what was being said publicly to what was being said privately. Um, we don't know the financials. Unfortunately, despite asking, no one would send us the contracts to look through. Um, I just look at, you know, there's the folks who say they want to be here and they're going to do big things. And then there are the folks who remain here and actually do things and not saying anything negative against guests. I just know that they were on cars and are no longer on cars. And Capstone, which I don't think was ever really announced as being a big player, has actually decided to stay independently, and they're doing good things to keep a young driver on track. So 
whomever's been on track because of the money from either two organizations, that's awesome. And as always, I'm happier for the ones that have decided to stay and continue to invest in the series. Let's go to John Richter who says, is there a possibility of Ganassi, Ganassi entering a third car and having a technical alliance with Michael Shank? He says, will Shank be on the grid for all 2020 races? I hope so. They deserve to be. Last part, I'll take Rob and I think we are going to hear from Shank that they will be in for all races next year. What are you hearing about the potential technical alliance between the team and Ganassi? And do you think it could be possible for Ganassi to both find someone with a budget that would put a third full car on the grid and also link up with someone to help them run their deal as a bit of a a technical alliance? Well, uh, you can always delete this if I'm talking out of school, but I mean, I think you're the one that put Mike Shank and Mike Hall together so they could talk. And I think they've talked, but all indications are from what I keep hearing is that they're, uh, that, that Michael will go back with Andretti, which is, you know, I think that's, that just makes the most sense. They had a good, they've had a, they had a nice relationship before and that's what got him started. And I'm glad to hear you say they're going to run the whole season. That's that. I think that's, that's good news. That's, that's breaking news. Really. I mean, I, I think I was thinking, well, I hope he gets to run at least 10, but you think he's going to be back for the whole year, huh? Well, that's what they've been working on. And Mike has said, that's their goal. He's never said they are. He hasn't told me that they are. Uh, I, I do think that, I mean, I think the reason they're working so hard and have yet to announce anything is that's what they're working towards. Uh, if, if just coming back and doing 10 again, or even 12, I think they probably could have announced that as being a reality a while ago. So I just take the fact that we haven't heard any news as meaning that no, they're still working to achieve the bigger goal. And if they don't think they are going to achieve it, then there'd be really no reason to wait. So just a hunch. Let's go to Pete Hernandez. Uh, save this here towards the end because I think this one's going to be a, it should be fun. So, so I was curious to get your guys' take on this. If the split never happened, what would IndyCar have evolved into? Would the series have still turned into what we have today with a spec chassis and only two engine manufacturers? Or would have CART have continued going strong with several engines and several chassis suppliers? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I've said it, I've written it, you know, lost some friends because of it. But when Tony started the Indy Racing League, it was the worst possible time to do it because CART was at the pinnacle. Indy Open Wheel Racing was at the zenith of their existence. The best sponsors, the most cars, the most fully funded cars, American drivers just bringing their helmets without bringing money, phenomenal crowds everywhere they went, and good TV ratings. Uh, and they were a thorn in NASCAR's side, and they were certainly a thorn in Bernie Eccleston's side, especially in 93 and 94. So, uh, so I, I mean, you know, uh, when Fred Nation was the uh, Dr. Goebbels for the IRL and was Ooh. telling everybody, oh, no, cart was on its way down, Indy 500 attended, suck. We could, yeah, really? Okay, Fred, that's why Roger Penske, that's why it was sold out in 95 and Roger Penske was paying triple face value for any seat in the house because he couldn't get tickets in 1995. IndyCar racing would have, they had at one time, you know, two tire manufacturers, four engine manufacturers, three or four chassis. Would have, would it have eventually turned to spec racing because of economics? It could have. I mean, we don't know that. But there was, 
we'll never know, but it, it, it cut open wheel racing to the quick in 1996. And even though cart had a couple good years after that, uh, you know, it, it never has recovered, but it's, it's, it's done a really good job of, of making a comeback here in the last few years and it's getting closer. But, when I hear people talk about the crowds at Rid, Ohio, or the crowds at Long Beach, or the crowds at at so and so, you're thinking, uh, no, folks, you need to go back to the early '90s if you want to see some crowds because there was nothing like them. Definitely, Pete. The, I think you're on to something here, though, on the downsizing in terms of chassis and engines and such. Keep in mind that if you step away from IndyCar and say, well, how is the motorsports industry as a whole? it definitely points to the fact that it's been on a decline, hopefully not a decline towards the grave. But if you look at sports cars, definitely nothing like it was when the American Le Mans series was a raging success. Uh, golden era, really 2000, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, definitely 2007, 2008, tons of money being poured in by manufacturers. Uh, then also look at NASCAR as well, which we discussed earlier. NASCAR was big, big monster. Even that is in a sorrier state. So I'd say if the split never happened, cart was still going. We've just seen industry-wise. A lot of money has been coming out, and so you would have to think that that would be the same situation with less of stuff. So I think you're onto something here that even if cart was still a thing, we'd never heard of the IRL so many things had not changed. I definitely think that cart or whatever we might be calling it today would be just as susceptible as stock cars and NASCAR, uh, sports cars and whatever else that has seen a bit of a decline here. Let's go to our last couple, Robin. Mark Cardella, lots of critical career commentary this year on Marco Andretti. Is it time for Robin to pump the brakes on his bromance with Graham Rahal? as the next great American driver and provides similar commentary of underachievement. He says, Rossi Newgarden are way ahead of them. Santino and Colton are on the way up. So I think there's a question in there. Well, that's funny because uh, somebody wrote a couple weeks ago, uh, it's the same guy probably, and he said, oh, Miller's got a new, new, a new love or a new bromance. He loves San Antonio, uh, Santino Ferrucci. Uh, because I wrote a column, was I not supposed to write about this kid having a phenomenal season? I mean, sometimes our fans just, uh, they floor me. I'm like, really? You don't think we should be writing and publicizing Santino Ferrucci? And, you know, I think I said something about Graham having a pretty disappointing season in the mailbag last week or this week, and I think he'd be the first to tell you. I mean, he's kind of gone. He went through that wonderful stretch in 15, 16, and 17 where he's winning races. He's contending for the championship in 15, and now he's, you know, I mean, he's just, I mean, Sato's won twice and Graham hadn't come close to winning a race this year. So, you know, it's just, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Hey, Graham's 30, he's only 31 years old. So, I mean, he's still got a lot of, he's still got a lot of racing ahead of him. I just think he just seems to struggle sometimes because he was gung ho with Alan McDonald taking over as his engineer, but he had his best years with, 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 uh, Eddie Jones, with, with Eddie Jones. So, I mean, I don't know. It's it, he's a tough guy to read sometimes, uh, but I, I I still have confidence he'll win races and he'll still he'll be so. I don't know if he'll ever win a championship, but I think he'll I think he can contend. I, I think he certainly still has the talent, 
And it's not like he hasn't shown us that. It's just there's been, you know, it does not. This has certainly not been a good year for him, and he's regressed from the from the from the years before that. But he's 31 years old. He's got plenty of time to to bounce back. Definitely think we're going to see some engineering modifications with the team for next year. Not because anybody is doing a bad job or needs to go away, but maybe more on the addition side. I think a technical director of some sort would definitely be an appointment I would expect to see there. And I'm not sure how you do this, knowing that the team is not just solely built around Graham. But if you look at the Harding Steinbrenner outfit, where through this alliance with Andretti Autosport, uh, George Steinbrenner, uh, Mike Harding, Brian Barnhart, they've been able to create a situation for a rookie driver where everyone can see from the outside. It's truly designed for your maximum benefit from great engineer to great damping to a great driver coach in little Al to, I mean, again, there's so much work that's been done to customize that team to give that kid the best chance possible. I know that the Ray Hall team is not a one car team. They have a second car who knows could have a third car next year. Part of me thinks, I know they obviously try and give their drivers everything they need to succeed, but does there need to be just a further step to say, okay, what can we do now? Is there more we can do with Graham at this stage? He's definitely a veteran among veterans in IndyCar. Are there further things that we can truly customize the entry for him on the engineering side, on whatever side, add things that are going to make him as comfy and be in that happy, successful spot he was a few years ago with Eddie so he can truly deliver on what we know he can do. We know he has the talent. We've seen the wins. We've seen the speed. Uh, When the car is right, few people pass more drivers than Graham. Qualifying is the one thing we've known all year, right? That, boy, qualifying better would be a big upgrade for how he could finish. Just think they might need to look at, okay, I know we're a multi-car team, but what can we do to, to customize things a bit more for Graham to get him into that happy spot? All right, going to go to go to two more, Robin. And for those, again, uh, who did not get your question answered, don't be afraid to send them in again if you really want them covered. Going to go to Greg Liver's Edge. He says, can we talk business for a minute? He says, without getting into the actual dollars and cents, what drives your guys' businesses as writers or podcasters? He said, does it all come down to clicks, shares, and downloads? He says, for example, when you post a link to a racer article, I click through your link. Does this improve your exposure compared to loading up the article through racer.com? And he also says, in a perfect world, how would listeners or readers get to your content to maximize your exposure and paycheck? That's a great one. Greg, and I don't know if Robin and I have ever really discussed. Yeah. So I don't know if Robin, you and I have ever really discussed the, the financial end since we're both, uh, I I guess contractors, freelancers sounds a little bit fly by night, but I can happy to at least share from my end, Greg, Uh, I am and have been, actually, I guess I did kind of sort of work for speed. I don't know. I don't, it's been a while. I don't remember. Um, I have, preferred to have clients to be a genuine freelancer. Uh, so I am a small business owner. Uh, I guess I am my small business. I believe Robin, you are your small business. 
at least the way that I do things, brother, is I'm not into the, you're going to pay me per word, per article, per whatever. My preference has always been, let's just figure out a flat rate that makes the two of us happy. And that's just the thing. So I'd rather, and this is the thing I've done is say, look, I don't want to have to spend 20 hours a month on billing, (laughs) right? And itemize every little thing. And on this day, I wrote this and it was this many words, which equates to this time. Look, let's agree on an amount per month. Let's just make it a la carte, whatever, you know, within reason, you know what you're going to get. It's going to be a lot of stuff. And that's what has worked best for me with my clients. And I guess I've been fortunate to have uh, some primary clients like racer and road and track for a long time now. What about you on your end? Knowing that I guess in theory, you've been hired and fired more than I have. Well, I'm a media whore. So are you. Uh, True. Yeah. Uh, words for hire. Uh, incredibly lucky that uh, the only job I ever really got fired from was the Indianapolis star. I did get fired from the champ car website for calling the car owners idiots. So, okay. That was the two, that was the two times I got fired, but I was lucky enough to, to write for ESPN and work on RPM tonight. And then speed came along and we had wind tunnel and speed report and speed news and writing a, writing a call. And we were, I think we were paid. I can't remember in the speed, have the speed days work if we were paid by the month or the stories or whatever. But then along came Paul Fanner and, and rescued us. And that thanks to David Mousher because he pushed it and, you know, having a guaranteed sum of money every month from Paul and racers uh, more than you could ever almost 70 years old, been doing this 50 years. I mean, you can't ask for a better deal than I got. And then NBC is just the icing on the cake. I mean, I, I, I hide lots of times in the production meetings because I think maybe they'll forget I'm on the payroll and go, <laughs> why is Are we still paying that idiot? What? Is he on the payroll? Is he wearing a hat? Get him out of here. So, uh, just, I mean, I, you know, when these kids come up to you and say, hey, I want to do your job, and I really, I'm, I'm, you just feel like you want to say to them, young man, I wish you the best of luck, but nobody's going to be as lucky as I've been. I mean, they're just not. It's been timing. It's been the fact that you outlive people. But, you know, we've watched all these wonderful on tracks and all the great publications we used to work for fall by the wayside. And thank God racers still standing. But uh, there's just not much out there for kids that are coming up out of journalism school. And they want to they want to do what you do, Marshall, or what I do or David or anybody like that. It's just it's really a hard to find a, a job that pays a, a decent living and a decent salary. And, you know, I. I, I I consider my not to sound like Lou Gehrig, but I do consider myself one of the luckiest men in, on the planet, just because of uh, the good fortune I got now. As I steam towards my seventieth birthday, to have two good jobs like I got. And you and I are very fortunate to have had two careers in the same sport that we love, uh, starting out on the team side and then moving over to the media side and such. I mean that's. That's a fairly rare move. Usually, yeah, that doesn't happen all that often. So we're, we're very fortunate on that front. So just to close here on this, Greg. Can I add one thing? No. Um, uh, I turned Roger Penske and Dan Gurney down. Uh, they wanted me to join their engineering staff back in the 70s, and I told them I'd rather write. Well, uh, they both had very complex toilet and commode systems at their shop, <laughs> So they and they were really hoping you could get those tuned up for them. Um, 
Greg, the thing to know is whether it is reading an article by going to racer.com or clicking through from something Robin or I might post on the good old book face or the tweeters or wherever, uh, it's all positive stuff. And I guess the other answer to this is we don't get paid more or less. Uh, we probably would get paid less if folks didn't read our stuff. I guess we're fortunate to be somewhat established in what we do that, uh, we have a pretty healthy readership base, uh, between the two of us, but yeah, honestly, just reading and being awesome and being, you know, encouragement's always a good thing. As Robin mentioned, there aren't many destinations where those who cover motor racing can earn a true living wage, much less one where, I mean, granted, you've got like 37 kids spread throughout the world, but for someone like me with, you know, a wife and a family and kind of being vaguely halfway ahead of household, you know, this is something that I'm very fortunate to make a proper living doing from the thing that I love. I just know that, you know, is there a fear in the back of my head that said, if that were to change at racer, how much is out there to go and chase afterwards? I mean, we're, we're definitely down to not many, as Robin mentioned. It's not like there's a big, long list of options, and this is, you know, uh, we could go anywhere we want. Heck, I know I've had offers to go el- elsewhere uh, recently and turn it down because I'm super happy uh, with what we have at Racer and the, you know, Paul Fanner in particular. I'll just throw this in because it's true, even it's if it's a bit sappy, Robin. With the stuff my wife and I have been going through, this is now a year, a year and a month since uh, the breast cancer diagnosis and going down this road. I've never had someone from a a client standpoint stand behind me as much as Paul has and the entire racer team. And I don't just mean through words, hey, we're there for you. I mean actions. Oh, Uh, yeah. I won't get into all those actions because that's, you know, private. But uh, truly, you go, hmm, if things went sideways, who would be there for you? You've been there. A lot of folks that I never questioned would. I never questioned that Paul would be there. I just didn't know it was going to be this holy crap, like set the standard for having someone's back. So you go, look, (laughs) I'm going to be with racer as long as they want to have me. And if they don't want to have me, then I'll respect that and go somewhere else. But um, uh, there's no temptation elsewhere because this has become a true family. That's the thing that I think you're, you're saying, Robin, that's the thing that there are so few of those left in the sport that, while I encourage those two to say, Hey, I want to do what you guys do. I go, great. Good luck. Don't come for my job. Though. I'll fight your ass up and down. Cause I'm not getting rid of it. Cause uh, this is about as good as I think it gets. Um, so yeah, Greg, but I, I think, you know, for those that do have to itemize and make piecemeal income from doing a $200 story here and covering a race there for this, and that, and the other, it's hard, man. And, and it weeds out the folks who really do or don't want to do this. So, yeah, uh, the gravy days, I, not like they were. I got one other thing to say. I drive Mark Glendening, our editor, and Marshall crazy because I'm always saying, hey, is it good to have 1,000, 1.5 thousand shares? Does that mean 1.5 thousand people read it? Or what's a, what, what is it? You know, I dri- I've been driving them crazy, and they're like, look, we can figure out who's reading the story, how long they read it. But the good news is, is I think Racer's the place to go to, to for IndyCar stories and news, and we're we're happy that's that's the truth. We're going to close 
with our man. No. Yes. No. I'm sick and tired of talking to you. I've been hoping I'd be rescued by Derek Walker to yank you away here, but yet another he failing. Text messages. You're on his list. He's going, where the hell are you? <laughs> he wants a free meal. All right. We're going to close with our man, Lance Snyder. I love Lance. He sends in the best stuff. He says for you, Marshall next year. And I'll read out the full acronym here. Should SP arrow McLaren and the Fernando Alonso racing team come into being and they lead a session or qualifying or win the race. Will you write the following headline spam dash fart dusts the field? Uh. (laughs) Uh. Ah, yes. The good old Fernando Alonso racing team. Yes. Uh, I, I can guarantee you Lance. I, I dream of a day. Robin and I will have to arm wrestle over who gets to, well, granted, we should tell folks we don't write the headlines or post the stories. We just send right. it in to the web editors. So, uh, yeah, but uh, if we did, uh, we would be arm wrestling over who gets to file the uh, spam fart dusts the field. Um, yeah, uh, IndyCar field crop dusted by spam fart might be another one. Um, yeah, uh, I don't even want to get into the Iowa, although they're no longer the sponsor. Um, uh, Iowa corn... <laughs> 300 uh blasted by spam fart i mean we this is all uh third grade humor and i mentioned last week when i think this came up that you know i just still giggle at this uh i'm in my late 40s i'm 48 and i still giggle at this stuff like a little kid and i had one listener write in and she said hey don't reserve this for men I, i giggle at this stuff too so i'm just glad to hear that while i think this is just me being a dumb boy I'm glad things like the spam fart acronym actually just it, it's an equal opportunity tickler. Well, speaking of ticklers, we should let you go. You know, we should also mention to close here. How awesome has it been, Robin, to watch folks support our pal Brian Till, who is uh, being taken offline here for the rest of the year as he undergoes chemo and radiation for throat cancer to try and make it back to start the 2020 season, uh, what, last Friday morning, about $3,800 had been raised through a GoFundMe page. And I think as of this afternoon, uh, in less than a week, we have, I think that number's come up to over 40000 um, Right. I just saw today Graham uh, and Courtney Rahal donated $5,000 to help our man, one of your colleagues uh, on the broadcast side, but just also one of our good pals for a long time uh, in the paddock, Brian Till. So really awesome to see the IndyCar community and sports car, but IndyCar community really come through for brother. It's been Brian. It's been me. It's been you. Uh, it seems like whenever somebody hits a pretty big speed bump, uh, you see a lot of great folks, whether they're race car drivers or just fans who uh, come through to try and help out. So, yeah, a lot of us really thankful for what you all have done for us by watching, listening, reading and deciding to step up and just be good racing citizens when a need is presented. I couldn't have said it better, brother. There are so many good people out there that have helped you and me and your wife and Brian and can't thank him enough. Well, go suffer through a dinner with the uh yeah that deplorable person Derek walker you know thank god his wife's going with us at least there'll be somebody to carry the conversation (laughs) 
Brother Miller, thank you as always. And right, uh, I'll see you next week in my California. You got it, buddy.